0: Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. If you're a long time listener to the show, you know that on occasion I have a co-host, a guest. I've had the London Whisper, Lawrence O'Brien from London on numerous occasions. Jamie Stigmeyer joins me on a regular basis. I'm introducing, this is the second time that he's been on the show, but I've asked him to come back. In a co-host role, because I think he brings so much insight and interest to the Kickstarter community, and so I want to welcome his first time as a co-host, J.T. Smith, owner, founder, and a creator of The Game Crafter. J.T., thanks for joining me
1: as a co-host. Thanks for having me back, Richard.
0: Well, last time, you know, we kind of talked about your business and your industry and all of that. This time, I wanted you to come back because we've talked on occasion, and we've had so many interesting things to talk about, and yeah. you're, you're kind of And actually,
1: there. speaking of that, I was listening to one of your episodes the other day. Okay. You were talking to Lou Lefton. Yep. I think he's from Georgia Tech, is that right? Yeah, the Maker Faire thing. Right. Yeah. And you were talking to him. And I think that might have been, that's either the first or second time that I've heard you talk to somebody about something other than board games, which I thought was kind of a unique thing. Like when you, most people, they cover just a category. They're covering board games or they're covering technology or they're covering, you know, shows or whatever, uh, or video games. But you are talking to people about lots of things. I uh, am. Yeah. And so I thought it might be interesting. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Why do you talk to people about other areas? Because I know I'm interested in other areas sure. of Kickstarter. I don't just do you know, games just because I'm with the Game Crafter. I, there's lots of other areas I'm interested in. So tell me about your experience with these other – It
0: really goes to the creation of the podcast in the first place. This is my first podcast. We've done pretty good. And I had never done a podcast before, and I needed a topic. And the reason I wanted to do a podcast is because I saw this Kickstarter thing. Anybody who's listening knows that I background in technology, uh, Silicon Valley marketing executive for many years. I now write on Forbes for a large Fortune 300 company, and I'm involved with a lot of things. But when what happened was, is I Kickstarter came to my attention as a transformational not technology, but a transformational social event as Twitter or Facebook. You don't look at Facebook or Twitter as technologies. You look at social movements. And here was crowdfunding, Kickstarter being the the framework of that, Mm -hmm. that was a transformational event in society. And I really like to watch those things. And so I was very drawn to that, that I saw Mm -hmm. that this Kickstarter thing transforms things. And as I started looking around, I realized that there was an industry and a market that it was transforming that I had a little bit of experience in. You know, i have been a, a gamer, a board gamer for most of my life. I'm mm-hmm. not, not hardcore, not heavy, but I know the industry a little bit, a tiny little bit, literally a tiny little bit. And so three years ago when I started the show, I realized I needed to take – let me take a step back and explain – my philosophy of where I'm going rather than, and we'll come back to the details. Yeah, There's a book out there by a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Moore that was written 20 years ago. I'm old. I read it when it was printed, when it was first printed first edition and it's called crossing the chasm. There's another one called inside the tornado as a sequel. The Mm -hmm. idea here of this book is that there's something called a technology adoption life cycle. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't, maybe our listeners have, but let me explain it real quick. And it's a bell curve divided into segments. At the very beginning of this bell curve is a tiny little segment called your innovators. These are people who adopt technology because they're drawn to technology. You know, these are guys who build- It's your
1: classic early adopters.
0: Early, well, innovators, and then there's early adopters.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. The
0: innovators are the ones who are building the motherboards themselves, Yep. Right? They're the ones that are milling down there, building things, and, and just for the sake of the technology, they are drawn to it. Mm-hmm. The next slightly bigger segment is the early adopters. These are ones who recognize that this technology could turn into something, and if I jumped on it early, it might give me some type of competitive advantage. It's not there 100%, but I've got some faith in it. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, these are the – you often find your – investors who are looking for these early adopter technologies. The next segment is called, now we're moving up the bell curve. And this is the major section of the bell curve at the top of the curve is called the early majority. This is when a a product hits it big time, takes off. And now the majority of the market, the early majority of the market embraces this product or service or whatever it might be. Then, on the downside of the bell curve, you have the late majority. These are the people who start to adopt the technology. These are people who are just now buying an iPhone, right? All right, they're just now kind of getting into this thing. They're like, "Oh, I heard a TiVo. What's a DVR?" You know. <laughs> well, that brings us into that last segment, which is that tail end. Those are the laggards. Those who are the ones who are still using the flip phones. Those are the ones who just. They just don't like, I ran into a guy tonight, you know, I was like, well, are you on Facebook? Can I, I don't use social anything, Facebook, Twitter, nothing.
1: Uh, Okay. So this is my dad essentially.
0: Yeah. And oftentimes age is associated with it, but not always. Okay. The reason I'm introducing this to you is because it seems to be a fairly natural progression. You introduce something to the innovators. They kind of introduce it to the early adopters. They introduce it to the early majority. Once the early majority is using it, the late majority kind of comes on board. And then the laggards, if they ever get on it or not, nobody really cares. There's a problem with this model, though, and hence the book Crossing the Chasm. In between early adopters and early majority is a chasm. It is a gulf where innovative products go to die. The Apple Mm. Newton died there. Yep. Okay? That was a product that got so much press and attention, and everybody's talking about it, and it's way out there. Yes, because people didn't understand the difference between an early adopter and an early majority. And it has to do with the way they look at a product. An early adopter looks at the product and says, you know what, it's 90% of the way there. That's good enough to Mm -hmm. get me the advantage, I think, in the market. Early majority, on the other hand, says, you know what, I need the whole product, and then I will see the advantage of using the whole product, and I'll move forward. That last 10% of product development is key. There were so many things wrong with the Apple Newton that tech people, mostly men, were drawn to it because it was cool. Mm -hmm. But it never quite crossed that chasm. MP3 players were kind of trying to cross that chasm of adoption. They were kind of getting there. And then Steve Jobs came along and said, let me give you the whole product. And what's interesting is part of that product was not technology, but it was iTunes itself. Right. The whole concept now was there. Okay the reason I'm sharing this with you is because what happens is is that crowdfunding was not a technology crowdfunding was a social event right and innovators people way out in front started getting on it and crowdfunding got a bad name people who couldn't raise money for real projects went to crowdfunding Kickstarter right. originally was seen as kind of as this junk crazy you know, uh, low quality thing, which is very in line with early adopter or innovator type technology.
1: In some cases, it still is. It it's,
0: is. Now, hang on. This is this not, This comes. You're getting closer to the question of why do I cover so many different things on Kickstarter? Right. So what happened was, is I recognized that this thing had reached the early adopter stage. Mm-hmm. Because there was a section of the industry that was adopting this, recognizing that it wasn't quite 100%, but it gave them first mover advantage. Michael Mendez from Tasty Minstrel Games being one of those pioneers in the early adopter. He recognized that crowdfunding and Kickstarter could give him an advantage. Chris Kirkman from Dice Hate Me Games, another one, an early mm-hmm. adopter who recognized it. I am always on the lookout for the early adopters. And I suddenly saw, because I happen to be in the board game space a little bit, and I said a little bit, that this was a transformational technology that was going to cross the chasm. Now, the key Mm -hmm. to crossing the chasm is that you have to have a incredibly tight market that self-references itself and can take advantage of this new technology or opportunity. The board game space was a perfect incubation period for Kickstarter. It had an online presence in board game geek. It had a self-referencing group of people who reinforced each other at cons and online and in forums. It had a product that had been calcified in an industry that was ripe for disruption. It was low capital, all of the things necessary to make a perfect transformation of an industry. And it had the perfect markings of a product in a category that was going to cross this chasm and hit the early majority. Mm-hmm. Okay, way I'm taking way all of our time. Half of the, half of our interviews gone to this explanation. The reason this is so important <laughs> is because what happens now is is I recognize that board gamers they didn't see what was happening, but they knew it was happening. My wife came to me three years ago and said, "I don't get it." why are you spending all your time in this board game space? Remember I said I was kind of in the board game space, but suddenly I was really in the board game space. Tom Vassell can speak to this, that suddenly I came out of nowhere. And suddenly that's all everybody was talking about was because of what I was introducing. So this is why I told her. I said, look, board games is where we're going to start. Video games and board games are very similar in the people who are in both industries or both Mm -hmm. players. Board games and video games are also then tied to Comic books, that comics of books, board games, and video games are all kind of form a triangle. And if I put board games at the point of that triangle, if I can knock down the board game one, then the video game and the comic books are related to that space. The mm-hmm. art, the mechanics, all of that. Oh, video games, comic books, graphic novels, self-publishing, video games, Film industry suddenly now publishing books film suddenly is a as the next one. So as I laid it out to my wife three years ago, I said, "Look, this is how this will progress. Each one of these industries will get knocked down like a bowling pin, and then go through the same transformational process that the first one did." Board gamers were way out in front on this. Hence, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of publishers on my show. I have uh, comic folks on the show, I have film people on the show, as each industry has transformed, part of the master plan has been to continue to tell the story over and over again of lessons learned as each one of these segment markets introduce this concept to the next one and help them accelerate it. There you go. There's the story of why I have some really off the wall, not that Lou was off the wall, but from a, if I'm talking about board games, why in the world am I talking about Maker Faire? Right. And, well, and that's where it comes from. Uh, Sorry. I took all the air out of this conversation. It's your turn to talk.
1: No, no. I think it's actually a natural fit, especially Lou. He's talking about maker spaces and really, you know, kind of heading to the Game Crafter a little bit. The Game Crafter is a maker space for game designers, essentially. Right. So I think that just naturally fits because the makers are the ones that are going to – ultimately use Kickstarter anyway they're the ones that you're calling the uh, innovators right yep and so, and that's true of like I was telling you before, you know i primarily I do back board games on Kickstarter, but primarily, my primary interest on Kickstarter as a backer is in technology products, specifically hardware products so i'm like I backed the Carvey and I backed some various 3 d printers, and I've backed some different kinds of uh, homebrew chipset systems and robotics buildings uh, kits and all kinds of things like that. That's really my area of interest, but again, it comes back to those people that are designing these innovative products that can disrupt entire industries. These are the makers; they're the innovators, and and it makes sense that they're going to be there. So, I, I think it makes sense, you know, that maker spaces themselves, of whatever form, whether it be, you know, like the the traditional maker space that Lou was talking about building or suddenly you know,
0: th- 3d printing fits into that and 3d exactly. printing with board games and the ability to create that's coming.
1: We feel yeah. That. There's all kinds of crossover in that area. There, and and there, to there your is. point about comic books, you know I've seen that since day one. there're all these comic book guys have all these amazing art assets, and they're looking for yep. other ways to monetize those art assets that's right uh, so they come to the game crafter and they'll produce you know card games and board games and that sort of stuff to remonetize those same assets over and over again and that's that bowling alley effect exactly the
0: game crafter. And I feel remiss that you and I didn't connect until years after I had been into this. But when I looked at the industry, one of the other things that happens is, is that you have to see if this market is transforming itself and a new ecosystem, a value chain is being developed around it. And when I saw what the Game Crafter was doing several years ago. I recognized immediately that you were one of the contributors to the transformation, that you were an accelerator or a catalyst inside this change, that what the game crafter was doing in the beginning, the game crafter had some of the same reputation that Kickstarter did. Well, yeah, you'll put it out there. The quality's not so good. It, you know, you can kind of – it's kind of right. limiting, right? That was yep. several years ago. Absolutely. But and what, it's hap- but what happens era. is that's okay. Because then the next iteration and the next iteration, it gets a little better and a little better, and that market starts to coalesce around you using those tools. You get better, they get better, and you feed off of each other. And that's why the Game Crafter – there's two people, I feel, in the Kickstarter board game space that have absolutely transformed the market. You and Adam Clark at KickTrack.
1: Ah, right. Yes. Right? He's absolutely –
0: Absolutely, and he did it totally by accident. He totally by accident in some ways. It was just a a personal project. You have empowered and enabled an entire new value chain that did not exist, and now you are a legitimate contender to this future ecosystem of how board games come to market because you're going to get better and better as more people use you. You scale more, right? You can speak to that better than I can.
1: Oh, shucks.
0: Oh shucks! What did I give away your secret?
1: (laughs) No, it's just uh, you know very flattering. It almost sounds like a commercial for the Game Crafter at this point.
0: It's not, and (laughs) and that's one of the things is that when people still don't realize the significance and power of what you're doing, that oh you know I'm not going to use Game Crafter. I'm going to go with the tradition. No, why? Because you're you're at a point where this is one of the things I've always argued that the next transformation in board games is okay. I only want to make
1: three hundred. Right, I agree completely, and I think that the industry eventually will get to that point where people aren't going to do print runs of you know ten thousand anymore unless they have settlers of Catan or whatever you know where it's a big game that they're selling millions of copies a year. Most places are going to print a hundred at a time or you know five hundred at a time, or whatever the order is from a distributor or from a particular trade show or whatever. They'll order exactly what they need to do that perfect thing. So that way, warehousing goes away entirely.
0: That's right. And suddenly, okay, if that was possible, but that means a company would have to exist that could do drop shipping, that could do on-demand printing, that could do on-demand manufacturing of figs and components, that could do all of the assembly and the boxing, that would have the – but that company would have to exist and have been created years ago so that when the time arrived they'd be prepared to do that do you know a company like that
1: <laughs> yes i know of i know of one company that, the game crafter
0: the game crafter
1: and so let's talk about the game crafter real quick because
0: people might not understand really the significance that this isn't just a back in your basement or your garage kind of hacking this together and you've got you know some friends over putting boxes together mm
1: mm-hmm. mhm The game right? Yeah, it's a full machine. We call it the machine internally, and it's not just machines when I say that. But it's uh, you know, it's it's people, it's processes, and it is ultimately machinery and, and automation that make the whole thing go. So you know. When you get a board from the game crafter or you get a tile from the game crafter it 's basically the same thing over and over again every time that 's how we ensure quality. If we were doing it with a pair of scissors, then when George cuts something, it would be different from when Dave cuts something you know that sort of thing so but do you see and I know
0: you do, but if somebody 's listening, they suddenly
1: start to realize that.
0: As Kickstarter continues to grow and it does, and it continues to have more and more, you have a piece of nearly every dollar that 's being generated on Kickstarter in some way or shape. you are influencing or taking a tiny little piece of that in some manner i, I 'm stretching a little bit, but
1: yeah I would say I would say you are
0: yeah well you 'd like to but my point is is that somebody 's going to say, oh, do you have a prototype well no well why don 't you just throw it up on gamecrafter so that we can get a prototype." You're yeah. in almost every conversation. And if you're not, people who you have not paid and who have never bought a product from you are actually recommending your services to people who maybe have never understood what you do. You have an entire sales group of people out there who are just simply promoting your service without you having to do anything.
1: Right. And I mean, part of that is, you know, people do that anyway, right? They like to recommend their plumber, or they like to recommend their dentist. Uh, you know, to whatever people naturally want advice on where they should go to get something done. So that's, that's going to happen. But being we're kind of unique in the world, you know, there aren't places you can go to get complete custom games. And when you run a Kickstarter, you absolutely need to have that great looking prototype to put in the video and to put in the photographs that you put on your Kickstarter. Even if you have nothing to do with us for, you know, the purposes of fulfillment at the end.
0: Well, and more so, and more and more, you need to have that game in the hands of reviewers so that it's reviewed absolutely. before the Kickstarter project goes up, right? You, yep. That's what I mean. That's what I mean by you are in the conversation or every – you have now influenced that. That's not what you set out to do. You set out to offer a service
1: to people who kind of needed it,
0: right? So, did Kickstarter come first or did you come first?
1: I don't actually know. When did Kickstarter – Kickstarter's, uh, I think,
0: five years old.
1: Yep. Yeah, so are we, uh, 2009 and so what's we probably launched about the same time. But you
0: didn't launch related to each other. No. Right? No. You launched at the same time, and here's what I mean by when this coalescing of an ecosystem starts to come together. You just launched this thing. Kickstarter yep. just launched this thing. But when you yep. take a step back, which is what I did, and you start looking at all these different pieces, and you're like, oh, oh I s- these are coming together. Look, they're on a collision course, and when they come together – so, for example, I want to compete with the Game Crafter. I want to go launch a, a service that you do.
1: Mm-hmm. And then I will choke you out.
0: Well, you don't even <laughs> have to choke me out. The, the capital investment and expertise that I would need to compete with you.
1: Yes, it, it is astounding how much money it actually takes to make something like the Game Crafter work and the learning curve. I mean, it's taken us, even though we are experts and we have hired experts, it. It's taken us years to perfect these things to get and to some extent we're still not there. You know, we there's always room for improvement. And so
0: and you have a lot of room for improvement. And I don't say it's because you're doing a poor service, but because the service you're offering is so transformational, I'm gonna to continue to use that word, that mm-hmm. what you can transform yourself into and your customers into continues to be unknown at this point. That somebody's gonna come and say, Can you do this? And you're like, Yeah, you know what? I think if we tweaked this and did that, yeah, we can do that.
1: We do that every day.
0: Every day. You are a living, breathing, evolving, transforming uh, service. That's why it's been so fascinating to watch your transformation, to watch the Kickstarter transformation, and the board game has been, industry has been this perfect
1: incubation for that. So what's the next – so board games was your first. What are you actually – are you seeing a trend? Are you seeing something that this is going to be the next big thing on Kickstarter?
0: no. The answer is going to be no. You didn't ask me a yes, no question, but no, um, because what's happened is, is that markets go through an evolution. So the board game space, remember I said it was a perfect incubation because all of the components were there, the tight knit community, the singular way that things were done, a simple system that was primed for disruption. Now what's happening is the natural extension of that where now suddenly markets that could never exist before now exist. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I can go out on Kickstarter, you know, and the fact that they've spread out their categories now when they started off with 13 and now I don't even know how many there are.
1: Right. Right. That's, yeah, they, bec- that's There's probably the base 13, but then it breaks down into like 13 under each one of those. So. Yes. It's gone.
0: In some ways that would be an exponential growth because what they have realized is that, and I use this all the time, why I loved the Death Star Kickstarter project that was a couple of years ago and then the X-Wing Kickstarter project. And the Potato salad Kickstarter project. People started to realize that you could crowdfund or kickstart
1: anything. Absolutely.
0: Well, what about this? Or what about that? And suddenly you have these tiny niche categories that people are starting to recognize that the traditional capitalistic industry that we have of retail could not support or sustain a market around this niche market, whatever it might be. And I, unfortunately, I don't have a good example that I could use right now. But crowdfunding and Kickstarter brings together the internet, community, funding, permission to give money, all of these things so that all you need is – I had a guest on uh, that's going to be on the show here pretty soon. They had 75 backers for their project, 75 from all over the country. Well, And they raised – how much did they raise? $6,000
1: to do – I was going to say I have an example of exactly that. but
0: Give me an example.
1: Well – Self plug here, but I'm about to launch a Kickstarter for a show that we put on in Madison. We've been putting it on for years now. It's called The Fireball. We put it on every January. It's basically a variety show with burlesque and belly dancing and sword swallowers and fire breathers and fire jugglers and all that kind of stuff. It's a really cool show. We've been doing it through traditional ticketing until now, you know, online ticketing, but it's traditional ticketing. And the problem with that is that. You know, for general availability tickets, that's fine, or general admission. But we also do a whole lot of complicated tickets, VIP tickets, where, because this isn't just a show, it's an event, right? And so there's a VIP party that you can go to. And there's, we do these things at local hotels and restaurants. And and so it starts to get really complicated when you get into these VIP level things. But online ticket sales, it's all about a ticket is a ticket is a ticket is a ticket and so the model is completely broken when you want to start doing cool custom events
0: and, and you are the master of doing cool custom
1: that's that's kind what of you my live thing. that's your thing right and so this helps you know going we're bringing over all of our vip ticket sales this year for the first time to kickstarter and trying a completely different model for selling that sort of thing and if it works out you know eventually we'll probably just get rid of all general availability tickets or general admission tickets too off of those traditional models and go you know directly here the other thing that it gets us you know there's an advantage to doing it on kickstarter that timed kind of window of when you're doing your crowdfunding campaign it motivates people to buy early so traditionally we don't know what our total dollar value is until the night of the show, one, you know, because they're still selling tickets at the door. And with the Kickstarter model, if we can sell most of our tickets in advance through this very narrowly focused, marketed window, we can bring bigger acts to the show that we could have never brought through traditional models. So and it's a very disruptive in that way.
0: That is. It's disruptive. And then it becomes a self-feeding, coalescing ecosystem because – now that you know how much money you have, because not knowing how much money you have means that you make decisions that are conservative. Right. Now that you know how much money you have, you make decisions that maximize the impact. And because yep. now you maximize, people get a better experience. Because they got a better experience, the, the success, and then the next time gets better, and suddenly it becomes a self-fulfilling loop of yep. reinforcing the success. Right. Can't, Kickstarter just transformed that whole experience for you and that's a market that would have never been able to exist without crowdfunding and crowdfunding is not a technology I, nope. say, I say it's a social permission for us to ask for and give money not associated with charity or begging yep And I and, agree completely and, and that's that's why it suddenly becomes transformational so your question to me was what's the next big thing mm-hmm. the next big thing is a whole bunch of little things
1: Oh, Makes sense to me a whole
0: bunch of little things is the next big thing now some are lamenting that in the board game space because board games now have card games, dice games, tabletop games, RPG games right the game category just exploded well now how hard is it to get people's attention and now I can't put it on Kickstarter and everybody just flocks to it. I have to work harder mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah you do
1: that's the nature that's the nature of any industry as it? it matures though.
0: It is. And let's go back to my technology adoption lifecycle. As it moves into the early majority, remember, the innovators, they were drawn to it because they saw that it could give themselves an advantage. So people who threw their things up on Kickstarter recognized that Kickstarter itself would be enough of a draw to give them a competitive advantage. Now that we've moved into early majority, late majority, that is no longer the hook. Now the hook is the 100% total value thing that you have to give. Crowdfunding now is just the given. It's at the base. Mm -hmm. And so that's why this is so cool. And I've asked this before. you want to take a guess? Maybe you know the answer. What is the single most successfully funding category? Not by money, but by percentage.
1: You want to take a guess? Mm. I'm guessing board games, but I don't know. Dance. No idea. Dance really. Dance.
0: Board games fund at around forty six percent of the time, less than half. Wow. Dance funds at seventy eight to eighty five percent of the time. Wow. If a dance project's put on Kickstarter, there's a really, really good chance that it will fund. Now let's That's... let's let's think that through. Why do you think that would happen?
1: Probably because there's very few dance projects, and yeah. because That's there's very right. few opportunities to gather money for dance projects. So, this kind of coalesces that community into one little space.
0: And the third one would be dance is similar to the board game space, where it's probably a community oriented social entity already. Dancers all know each other, dance producers, dance studios, they all know each other. It's true right it's so it's a self-referencing group of people so that if i have the courage and the ability and skill to get enough people together to put on a dance project then that probably means that i have enough people together to successfully fund a crowdfunding project because one of the things i always say you've heard me say it oftentimes people don't have a funding problem they have a crowd problem <laughs> and so true and dance is a social activity by itself they've already figured out how to create a crowd now they're just monetizing the crowd that already exists around something like dance. Yep. This is why so often, going back to the space that you love, technology is such a hit or miss because if the gadget works, so uh, the coolest cooler guy, mm-hmm. his Kickstarter project failed. The first time. That's right. Then so the he,
1: second time, he hit it out of the park.
0: That's right because he figured out this wasn't about the money. This was about the crowd. Right. So he figured out how to go leverage that crowd and totally blew it away, blew it out of the park, right? The potato salad guy is another perfect example of he inadvertently tapped into the crowd. Now, in his case, if you take that technology adoption life cycle, he is an innovator, early adopter. And people are like, what? He just had potato salad. Yes. He figured out how to package something so common that none of us would even pay a dollar for it, yet he right. raised so much money because he understood this innovator early adopter concept and tapped into that. Now, is it sustainable? Right.
1: It doesn't matter whether or not – it doesn't matter whether or not he knew he was doing it. He hit the nerve. He hit the nerve. Now, right. is it sustainable? Will it cross no. the chasm? No. <laughs> no. That one's going to die. That In one? fact, it's already been proven that it's died. So many you know, people have been trying to crowdfund their cookies or whatever. Not understanding. That's right.
0: Because they saw that one in the early adopter innovator stage, thinking that it was moving to the early majority. So they were going to ride this, tor- it's called the tornado, ride the tornado so that anything like that, they're not understanding what was going on. And they have to go find that again. That's why the Death Star and the X Wings were so much fun, is because it was tapping into that early adopter innovator crowd that was like, hey, this is kind of fun. Look, we can fund the Death Star.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: I'm really passionate about this. I'm passionate about Kickstarter because it breaks down the barriers. It opens up opportunities. It gives people permission to dream, to just yep. to dream. And if you took money out of the equation, what would you come up with? And so a f- few of us have experience dreaming that big. That's why I get so excited and reach out to such a wide variety of people who have the ability to share how their passion broke down the barriers of fear, and they were able to tap into that and raise funds, whether it's $1,000 or it's $100,000. It's very exciting to see that.
1: It is. And with that, I think we should probably wrap this up because we might just have the longest episode in your history right here.
0: We do. We have the longest episode. Usually I would have cut us off, but I had somebody ask that if on occasion, if there was a really good topic and a really good guest, that we do kind of a special that
1: we do it. so here we did the first special
0: we did the first special we've got about thirty five minutes, so we're almost double the normal time. so this is a double episode. We had both of you. I did most of the talking. I apologize that JT no, I, but it
1: was very interesting, and I think the audience will think so as well.
0: well, I hope so and again, I can't say enough about what you do and how absolutely thrilled I am to have watched the game crafter. Go through its own transformation because it's just it continues to validate and just it's so exciting because what's coming for you and the impact you're going to have on the board game industry it hasn't even we're just scratching the surface and that's what gets me excited about what you're doing so I'm thrilled that you've gets uh,
1: me excited too
0: <laughs> I bet it does so next time we'll have another time for you to come back we can talk about a wide variety of things yeah. I'd love to see what you're seeing in the industry how the impact you're seeing Kickstarter having on your business things because we have so many of our fans and listeners who are gamers insights and suggestions you can give them things that they never even thought of that would be great
1: or maybe we'll have another double special episode where we can talk about some random topic that we thought about just five seconds before we go on air we could (laughs) do
0: that we could do that those tend not to be very entertaining though so Uh,
1: like this one (laughs) like this one (laughs) cool
0: hey thanks gt thanks for joining me Thank you. You've been listening to our special double episode. My guest has been – well, my co-host has been J.T. Smith, the owner, founder, and creator of The Game Crafter. Go ahead and take a look. If you've got a board game or an idea out there, this is the place you need to go to go check it out. Hopefully, you've been entertained. This has been awesome talking to you guys. I certainly get passionate about it. Thanks for listening. Take care. Our intro and exit music is Orientation by Bureaucratic. You can listen to more of their music at soundcloud.com bureaucratic. Today's show is produced by Come Alive Creative. We want to thank their work, and you can find them at comealivecreative.com. Thanks for listening. Take care.